What's going on, party people? I am your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. With me today, we have a special guest, Matthew Winnick of The Score. Matthew is one guest that I'm having on in a series of college basketball season preview episodes, I would like to call it. I'm going to break this up into five different episodes, so this is one of the ones you guys are hearing. And so, Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited. We have what, college basketball in 12? It's November 7th, so I think that's 12 days away. It's been a while. Yeah. Quite a while. I'm excited. And I think I told you this when we were um, planning to, you know, get together to record this. And I said, this is the most excited I've ever been for college basketball season. So I just feel like with how the transfer portal has evolved and everyone's well, not everyone, but the majority of guys are auto-eligible now. They don't have to sit out a year anymore. You know, it's it, it's kind of like NBA free agency in a sense. And, you know, there's a lot of new guys in new places. And as a result, I think there's a lot of contenders this year. So I, I'm very excited for this college basketball season to get underway. Yeah, I think that the, the word is kind of parody in a way that some teams, you know, there is a team in, in this uh, season, Arkansas, who has three of the top five prospects, basically Duke in the same concept. And they aren't considered immediately as the favorites, which in many years, if you have three of the top 10 freshmen, you would. But because there's so much depth and there's so many players are taking that fifth year and there's so many transfers, the pool is a lot deeper than it has been in previous years. of just like quality players on rosters and rosters being talented, like seven, eight guys deep. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, Arkansas Duke as examples of, you know, guys bringing in a whole bunch of freshman talents. Not only are they not really favorites to win at all, they're not even favorites to win their own conferences, Arkansas and Duke. So it's... Right. And think about in those two conferences who are the favorites, like in Duke's conference, the ACC, it's North Carolina, and they're most known for bringing back four starters from a team that went to the national championship game. Mm-hmm. Arkansas is second in the conference SEC to Kentucky, who brings back the national player of the year. So you're seeing exactly what I'm talking about, which is bringing back talent and bringing back the top players back to college basketball is going to trump those freshmen that in the past couple of years have been seen as the priority. Yeah. So basically I brought Matthew on because what I noticed is I saw if everyone wants to go follow Matthew, um, I have your handle right here at Matthew Winnick, two W's, Matthew Winnick, go follow him on Twitter. I will link it in the episode bio if you guys want to see that, but he tweeted something about Ken Palm rankings and Ken Palm rankings just recently came out earlier this week. And essentially, Matthew gave a breakdown of teams that are overvalued and undervalued in each conference. Now, I'm not going to go through every conference. I'm basically going to go through the top mid-majors and the power conferences. But okay. So, Matthew, for our listeners, for people who aren't as familiar, what exactly are Ken Palm rankings? Right. So Ken Palm is by a, a man named Ken Pomeroy. He's been doing it for a bunch of years, 20 years now. And he uses a a couple of major factors. Basically, he uses a a thing called adjusted efficiency. There's just general adjusted efficiency, offensive and defensive that kind of create your mark. And he uses a bunch of different factors. He calls it the four factors. The main things that he searches for are your effective field goal percentage, your turnover percentage, your offensive rebound percentage, and your free throw to field goal attempt rate. And essentially, that combined with your tempo, your possession length, 
He uses a whole bunch of different factors in order to create these rankings for teams that are supposed to be as all-encompassing as possible. Because the reality is there's over 360 college basketball teams. And if you went by points allowed, points scored in terms of who's good at offense and who's good at defense, it's impossible to properly quantify because some teams play super fast, some teams play super slow, some teams are more two-point variant, three-point variant, free throws, getting to the line, rebounding, different deficiencies. In some leagues, you can go based off of scoring and be able to get what you need from a team. But with so many squads, you can't have eyes on every single one of them. Using this analytics site as a way to sort of tell a team's makeup without just looking at the basic core stats. Like, I don't even look at players' points or players' rebounds anymore. I look at their usage rate and their rebounding percentage because this just gives you a much better grasp of who they are as a player. And then from outside, what they are as a team based off of their efficiency margins and percentages. Okay. So let's let's dive a little bit into those rankings. As I said, Matthew did tweet out essentially a team that was overvalued and a team he perceived to be undervalued in each conference based off the rankings. So for example, um, you guys can go on KenPom.com, look up the rankings yourselves. But essentially like Kentucky's number one, Texas is two, Gonzaga's three, for example. So those are all three teams that I believe are ranked... I know Texas is what top 15 and Gonzaga's number two or three. Again, unfortunately, I do not have, I actually have it right here. In the AP poll, I'm referring to Gonzaga's number two, Kentucky's number four, and Texas at 12. And that's the top three in Ken Palm. So do you think AP voters or kind of, again, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. So if you don't know the answer, it's okay. Um, do Do you think AP voters are kind of factoring the Ken Palm? Because Sure, they all have the same teams being good, but their rankings are pretty vast and different. I think a couple of things. One, AP voters come from all different ages and different eras. Some are big into analytics, some don't use analytics at all. Some people are big on the eye test. The reality is when it comes to AP voting, there's a lot of groupthink, and that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes groupthink is good. But what you find is a lot of people get stuck on their rankings, and especially as the season goes along and you move them up one or two places. When you use analytics as a ranking source, a major change in result can actually lead to a major change in result. Versus if a team number one loses the move three or four spots in an AP poll, in Ken Palm, if they lose badly or to a bad team, that might not be reflected as strongly in a voting poll versus an analytic ranking. Okay. That's one of the biggest differences for me. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm not going to call anybody, you know, I'm not going to call you a professional because I don't think really there's many professional betters at all. But Matthew, you know, he, he's a semi, I believe your Twitter boss is what? Semi professional. Semi pro college basketball. Semi pro. Okay. I like to consider I do, I, I, I write, my pro better as well with college basketball. Look, I write about betting for a publication, and I do betting myself, but you cannot be called a professional better unless you're sitting in Las Vegas making whoever large bets. So that's not me. And even the professionals because, only hitting, right. what, 54% of the time, if that? Yeah, I think the best season I've ever done is in the low 54%. I think the best can probably get a little bit up there, but not by, but not by much. It's a difficult oh, thing to do. Okay, so then... When looking at the Ken Palm rankings, how do you, when you're placing your bets, I mean, how, when you're writing an article about who to bet on, how do you factor in those Ken Palm rankings into your equation of, you know, I don't know, Gonzaga three-point favorites over Kentucky, just for an example. 
How right. what, what what do you use that spread to do compared to what the Ken Palm rankings say? First of all, and a lot of people don't know this that are amateur bettors, a lot of the betting lines are kind of based off of the Ken Palm score. Like if you go on Ken Palm, you'll be able to see his prediction for each game based off of the analytics. You'd be shocked how similar the line, the betting line is to the Ken Palm prediction. Like they are followed very frequently. And only when they aren't is when there's like a human change, like how the betting site might know that a top player is injured and Ken Palm's rankings don't have that attributed because they don't do injury, pre-game injuries. Then you'll see the line change. But for the most part, lines stay pretty similar. So that's the first thing. When I look at a matchup between two teams, the number one thing I look for is a major discrepancy one way or the other. Is like being good at one thing isn't good enough. It's what are you good at that the opponent is bad at? And I try to find just one matchup advantage or matchup disadvantage, depending on what team I'm analyzing. And I'm not looking as much as one team stats. I'm looking at the teams combined. And the good thing that Ken Bomb has, which, really, which is really helpful, is he color codes things green. The brighter the green, the better they are. The darker the red, the worse they are. You just got to find something. For example, like Buffalo versus Colgate is a game that's happening on the first day, right? Now, last year, Buffalo, deep, deep red is they allow a ton of, sorry, they allow very few three-pointers, which means they play a switching defense and they're going to have guys right in your face. They're very athletic, not going to allow it to three-point shooters. Colgate, if you look at their record last year and you go over to the Kenpom page, they were second in the entire country in three-point percentage. So what that tells me is if Colgate is playing Buffalo, if Buffalo is elite at making opponents take two pointers and not allowing threes, then Colgate's at a disadvantage here because their best skill is shooting the three. Now Ken Palm has Colgate as two point favorites on the road at Buffalo. What that tells me is that they don't have that matchup necessarily accounted for. If Buffalo can remove the three point line and make a Colgate team that shoots a ton of threes and effectively make them put the ball on the floor and shoot twos, well then Buffalo is a matchup advantage. So I'm leaning Buffalo in that matchup. And that's essentially the thought process of how you can use something like Ken Baum to decide a betting line. Yeah. And I just actually thought of a perfect example now that you're mentioning, you know, play to the strengths and weaknesses of each team. I believe, what was it, the 2021 tournament, because it was canceled in 2020, when Texas was a three seed and they played Albaline Christian, who's a 14. I believe there you Texas go, Abilene Christian, actually, yeah. Yeah, Texas led the whole nation, I think, in turnover and, like, how frequently they turn the ball over. And that was like Abilene Christian's biggest strength was forcing turnovers. So you got it. They were, they were 265th in offensive turnover, turnover percentage. And Abilene Christian was first in defensive okay, turnover yeah, so percentage. Yeah, so you're, exactly. you're bang on Abilene Christian forced turnovers. And in that game, Texas had uh, 23 turnovers in a 64 possession game. So they turned the ball over on a third of their possessions. Okay, there you go. So, okay. And Ken Palm, just for listeners to know, I believe you need a subscription, don't you? To, you know, kind of, yeah, I know it's, you can just look at the rankings generally. I know it's like $20, I think, for a year. So It um, might not even be that. Yeah, well, whatever it is. Um, either way, it's inexpensive. I recommend everybody, especially, you know, sports ethos, you gamblers out there. It, it's, it's worth the money. Um, yeah. So anyway, let, let's get into... Your basically your overrated, underrated teams based off of Ken Palm. So let's start yeah. with the Power Six conferences. So the SEC, I'll start with. Uh, I, I believe I just did in the order that it was tweeted out in the thread. So no specific order, really. 
You have Auburn, who was ranked 13th as the overrated, and Florida as 35, who was underrated. Now, Florida, I absolutely love this year with the transfers they brought in. Um, you know, Kyle Lofton from St. Bonaventure. I loved St. Bonnie last year, so I- I'm riding that Kyle Lofton train. Alex Fudge from LSU. I'm going to have the guys from um, No Ceilings on later this evening to talk about draft prospects in the draft. So Alex Fudge is definitely somebody on my radar. Um, they have Colin Castleton back. I don't know. I- I'm very high on the Florida team, and apparently you like them as well, at least based off of Ken Palm. So... Why Auburn overrated and why Florida underrated? Well, Auburn's two best players last year were two NBA first-round picks, right? Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. And Walker Kessler was the best shot blocker in the entire country. And Jabari Smith was a potential number one overall pick. And you're placing them with a decent four-star in Johan Traore and And a a, a mid-major big man in Janai Broom. And it's like, you're not getting anywhere close to the same production from those two. I get it. Janai Broom's a good uh, shot blocker. And Traore is a good, uh, is a decent shooter for uh, for being a power forward. But the reality is, you're just, the Jabari Smith, the Walker Kessler drop-off is going to be way bigger than what these guards can withstand. And the guards are the exact, it's the exact same guard rotation. It's Wendell Green, Katie Johnson, Zepp Jasper, and Alan Flanagan. They're, they're solid. Look. Wendell Green had an amazing season in Eastern Kentucky. He deserved getting to Auburn, but they are not going to lead you to a top 15 to 13th overall being guards. And you need Traore and Broom to be your two best players. And I just don't think they're that good. The reality is the offense and the consistency offensively will be problematic because Wendell Green and Katie Johnson are as two of the most inconsistent college basketball talented college basketball high major guards you can find but they're both inconsistent okay so then what about florida what's the rationale behind them being the underrated team yeah you know the pieces just fit kawesi reeves makes a ton of sense as a you didn't mention him but kawesi reeves makes a ton of sense as you know a breakout guy i love will richard from belmont he was awesome last year really good defender and then like you mentioned fudge who i think is great for this roster because they have a lot of guys that can score and Fudge is probably best suited in a role where he doesn't have to. And people are forgetting, look, Colin Caston has a real chance at being an All-American this year. He's the second best big man in the SEC behind Oscar Shibwe. And then, you know, you go down the bench. Myron Jones started at Penn State. Trey Bonham was a sharpshooter at VMI. And then Jason Jatobo is someone who Todd Golden super high on as like a 300-pound space eater down low who will spell minutes for Colin Castleton. And at that point, you're just like, nine guys that fit that can play a role with the coach and Todd Goldman, who is willing to, you know, he's someone who I love because as much as he stretches analytics, what he stresses the most is play your role. And he has guys that perfectly fit each role. I just see it going quite well. Okay. So then let's move on to the big 12. You have two highly ranked teams as you're overrated and underrated. So Texas, is ranked number two in Ken Palm, as I said earlier. And correct me if I'm wrong, Texas, at least to start the year, was, weren't they Ken Palm number one last year in the preseason? Or they were very They were not. So it was kind of the flip of you were talking about AP poll and Ken Palm. A lot of people had Texas in the top three of their AP poll, but they actually started the season 14th in Ken Palm. Okay. Okay, so 
I'm misremembering, but either way, Texas is number but, two. But in the AP poll, in the AP poll, they were really ranked high. Yeah, the AP poll, I think they started five or something. But either way, yeah. um, that's when they brought in Marcus Carr, Trey Mitchell, um, Dylan Disu, Timmy Allen. They brought in you know a whole slew of guys, and it was Chris Fields' first year there. Um, underrated team, you have Kansas, the defending champions who were ranked number eight. So give me the spiel on Kansas. Why, why is a 2 0? I just love their wings. I, I really think that the trio of – I'm speaking highly on it. I'm doing a preview for the score right now with the Big 12, and I mentioned the exact same thing. Kevin McCullough, Grady Dick, and Jalen Wilson are their three best players. They're the best wing core in all of college basketball, and they all have different strengths. McCullough is a do-it-all guy. He can play point if he has to. He's an amazing defender. He gets to the rim. Okay, shooter. Jalen Wilson is a you know a, a, the best NBA prospect of the three. He almost left this year, but his three-point percentage was down last year. If he gets that percentage up, he's rangy, he's long, he's a good defender working, and he's better off the dribble that people give him credit for. And then Grady Dick is just, you know, he's gonna become a college star if he stays more than one season. Most certainly in my mind, as a guy that's gonna become a college star. He's sixth, I believe, in the ESPN top 100 elite shooter. He's dreamt of playing at Kansas his entire life. He's just the guy that you see fitting in on this squad. And between the three of them, all with different strengths, it just, it all makes sense. And I think that that team is going to be special this year, despite the fact that they lose David McCormick and they lose Ochai Baji and they lose Christian Brown. Okay. So then what about Texas? I mean, Chris Beard, you know, they're going to be defending well. There was more continuity than the Texas team last year. I know they brought in Tyrese Hunter, who transferred from Iowa State, and they brought in um, Dylan Mitchell, who's a five-star freshman. So, But more continuity than there was last year. It's Chris Beard's second year, though. You know he's going to have them defend their asses off. So, I mean, obviously, you know, two, there's only one team ranked ahead of them. So is that the rationale, really, or are you just down on Texas? I'm down on Texas, along with the fact that they're ranked number two. Look, okay. Chris Beard is a great defensive coach, but – Let's go through, let's quickly do a little exercise. Their starting big man is going to be Christian Bishop this year. Mm -hmm. He has made four career three-pointers in four seasons, okay? Their four will be Timmy Allen. He is a 26% career three-point shooter who shot 26% last year. Four, four made threes. At the three is going to be either Dylan Mitchell, who was not known as a shooter, or Dylan Disu, who shot 13%, two of 15 from three last year. Mm -hmm. At two is going to be Marcus Carr, who has one season in his four years over 33% from deep. And that was not last year. And then their starting point guard is Tyrese Hunter. Who, let's go, I'm going to pull up this number real quick. He shot 27% from three last year as a rookie. And that wasn't on low attempts. That's 135 shots. He shot 27%. So their leading three-point shooter is Marcus Carr, 33%. And no one else over 30%, unless they start Dylan Mitchell, who's at zero because he's a freshman. So my question is just like, Maybe, fine, you start Serge Jabari Rice from New Mexico State, but then you're benching one of your starters. Sure, you fine, you start Brock Cunningham, but why would you do that? It's just like there's not enough shooting on this roster. Chris Beard has proven that he doesn't give offensive talent, talented offensive players the ability to, you know, be themselves and be free. I, their defense can be as good as it wants to. Their offense isn't good enough to be a top-two team in college basketball. Yeah, and you look at some – there were some really good teams defensively in the Big 12 last year. I'm looking at teams like TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. They were all phenomenal and, on defense, but all had very poor offenses. And 
You know, I think you might have sold me on Texas being in that, you know, grouping with the rest of them. And you also even forgot about Iowa State, who might have no, been the Iowa most State, stark yeah. contrast. I thought them didn't say the up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy okay. strong contrast kind of there, yeah. Okay. So then Big Ten, you have overrated Northwestern, who was ranked 70, and Purdue was underrated at 25. Yeah. So Northwestern, just from the eye test, they what were they last year? Do you know in the Kempom? I can get you that stat in the fastest time possible. Pete Nance. They finished. They finished at eighty-seven. Okay, and they lost their best player in Pete Nance. Yeah. Keep in mind they started at forty-eight, so they dropped almost double the amount of spots that they started at. Okay, so is that just mostly the rationale for Northwestern? That could. That is a very fair rationale. They lost okay. their best player. They also lost their best big man, who was their best rebounder in Ryan Young. He went to Duke. Those are very fair points. However, the real reason I had them at low is their roster is bad. Like, simply put, okay. they they just don't have, like, I have them ranked last in the Big Ten. They didn't expect to lose Ryan Young and Pete Nance. So I thought they'd lose maybe one. So they didn't recruit any big men out of the portal. And they were stuck with a guy named Titus Verhoeven who I believe played at UTEP last year. So this is not someone who's going to, you know, be a Big Ten quality big man whatsoever. He's played at Duquesne and UTEP in his career. This isn't the guy that's that's a Big Ten worthy player. They got, you know, off the bench, their two other big men is is like a redshirt freshman and a a, a freshman. And it doesn't matter how good Boo Boo is. It doesn't matter how good Chase Audige is, which, by the way, people love Chase Audige. Oh, he's a solid scoring wing. 25% 25% from three last year and 106 attempts. So there's very little proven scoring production. There's no size down low. They're going to be awful defensively. They're not going to be able to score offensively. And it's like, I just don't see how a team is worse. And, and I'm not, I'm going to pull up the number right now, but right now Ken Palm has three, two teams, 30 plus spots below Northwestern. That's just insane to me in the conference. Which teams? Nebraska and Minnesota, who the clear bottom three is Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota. But for Northwestern to be 38 and 39 spots better than those two is insane. Okay. So then what about Purdue? I mean, obviously we know Jaden Ivey's gone. Travion Williams is gone. They, um, what's Sasha Stefanovich, I believe, left. So Zach Eady, he's really going to be the main focal point of this team. So what do you like about Purdue? So the thing is, people are upset that Purdue doesn't have a point guard anymore because Jaden Ivey left. Oh, what are they going to do without a point guard? Purdue's offense doesn't have a point guard. It's just not an offense where a point guard is needed to run a team. Like, let's go back to a couple of years. Last year, Jaden Ivey obviously was a good passer. We're going to go into uh, Ken Palm numbers here. The leading assist rate getter on Purdue, big man Travion Williams. The year before that, big man Travion Williams. The year before that, wing no gel Eastern. I don't know if you have any recollection of no gel Eastern, but that happened. And the year before that, there was no player. His name rings a bell. Yeah, he was an NBA prospect for a bit. And then the year before that, zero players in the top 500 in Ken Palm and assist rate. This Purdue team does not come and get assists. It's not what they do. They pass the ball to their big man. The big man scoring is the main is the main draw. And if Zach Eady, who is a dominant big man scorer per 40 minutes, he just hasn't had the chance to play a full slate because of Travion Williams, he's becoming a better passer. He was third on the team in assist rate last year. If Zach Eady gets double teamed, if he can't score in the post, he's going to kick it out to a shooter. They don't have a natural point guard and people are docking them for that. 
I don't think it matters. I think if Zach Eady can make the right reads and just be an average passer, this team will be just fine without a punt guard. So then let's move on to the ACC. Overrated, you have Virginia, who's ranked number five, and underrated, you have Florida State at 65. So Virginia is interesting. I was listening to the Field of 68, their, um, their ACC conference preview, and they actually all had Virginia ranked over Duke because of the fact that not only is it John Shire, especially as a rookie coach, and you don't know how you're going to get all these freshmen to defend and mesh together, but Virginia's returning, I believe it's 88% of their minutes from last year. They're returning almost their entire team. So I, I, five is ambitious. That I'll agree with. But is it just because you think five's too high or is there something to be concerned about with Virginia? Both. I think five is too high. Honestly, I have three teams above Virginia, both UNC, Duke, and Florida State. I like Florida State above Virginia this year. The reason being, and maybe Duke is going to drop a couple of spots because of the injuries to Derek Whitehead, Derek Lively didn't play in their pro day, besides the point. There's just no, no shot creation on this Virginia team. Because you think about it, the last time Virginia was ranked anywhere near this high was the year they won the national championship, right? When they, The year before they lost to UMBC and they won the national championship. You're an NBA guy as well, right? So Ty Jerome played NBA games, right? Kyle Guy, I think he's somewhere on the two-way or he's floating around the two-way range. And DeAndre Hunter is a starter for the Hawks. That's three, and they are all scorers. Obviously, Hunter is a three and D guy. They can all score the basketball. They all shot 40% or better than from three in the year that they won the national championship. They don't have those players on this team, right? Like, Reese Beekman shot 33% from three. K.H. Clark, 34% from three. Armand Franklin, 30% from three. I, I hate to go back to the three-point shooting, but it's, it's not even the standstill shot. If, even if they could make standstill shots, not enough for me. They have no shot creators on this roster. They're going to need to give the ball to Jaden Gardner and just hope that he can score on the block all game long. And that's what they did last year. It's not like they've added all these new pieces. Like, sure, they've added some freshmen, so their bench is deeper. But Tony Bennett doesn't play his bench anyways because his team plays so slow. They're never going to rank in the top half in bench minutes anyways. They're always in the bottom 10th like they don't need their bench so it's the same starting five as last year plus Ohio transfer Ben Vanderplas and if he makes He's such a huge difference if he makes such a difference you go they go from 72 to five is their only addition it makes no sense to me if they added like a, a, a shot creating guard who can like get Jaden Gardner better touches get the ball out of Kia Clark's tens a little bit more and let some guys play off ball shooting fine but no one on this roster has proven to me that they can score the ball effectively and even though tony bennett's an amazing coach and their defense will be good and they'll slow the pace down to a to a breaking halt it doesn't matter you can't be a top five ken taunting if you don't have scoring so then what's the argument for florida states well i think that florida state's approach is and i might have to drop them i haven't been able to give them a new ranking since they lost brown transfer jalen ganey but the reality is Caleb Mills is more proven as a scorer than any other player on that roster. Matthew Cleveland is a higher-ranked recruit than any player on Virginia who had a pretty awful year offensively last year, but there's more projection there because he's rangier and he has more size and he's better with the ball in his hands. And Baba Miller, who is one of their freshmen from Real Madrid, I think is an underrated star this year, someone who came in a development system that consistently proves that the Real Madrid development system brings out good players and Baba Miller, I think, is going to be one of those guys that will thrive for Leonard Hamilton. Okay. 
So then we have two more major conferences. So let's talk about those real quick. So the Big East, you have overrated St. John's, who's ranked 37. And I believe from your tweets, the rationale was that, you know, the two sub six foot guards that I have and, you know, how that's going to impact them defensively, essentially. If I don't want to misquote you, but that, that's what I put together. Um, and in Seton Hall, you have underrated at 48. So what do you like in Seton Hall? And St. John's, is there anything further? Or is it just that, you know, small backcourt and they didn't really improve much around the margins otherwise? So I'm actually going to start with St. John's because, and by no fault of your own, you, uh, I actually kind of meant the backcourt in the other way because in college basketball, you can have two sub-six-footers Defensively, you'll be fine. I mean, Posh Alexander is one of the best. uh, Jose Alvarado. Right. He's one. Jose Alvarado. Like, you can have, you can be a small guard. You can play two small guards and you'll be fine. The problem is Posh Alexander is a 26. I I hate that I'm going back to the three-point line again, but it's about roster construction. And, you know, if you're going to have a starting point guard and a starting shooting guard, obviously just call them two on-ball guards. They're both clearly on-ball. Posh Alexander is a 26% three-point shooter over his two seasons. And Andre Curbelo is probably worse. I'm pulling up the stat right now. He's a 617% three-point shooter on 65 career attempts. Mm-hmm. So you got 26 and 17% three-point shooters at your one and two guard spots. And Justin Champagny, who was their, sorry, Julian Champagny, who was their clear best scorer last year, best shooter, shot almost 40% from three. He's off the roster. Now, what do you do? You replace him with, you know, if you're going to go with David Jones from DePaul, he's not an elite shooter. And you just have all of these slashers and all of these guys that need the ball in their hand getting to the rim. I just think their offense is going to be a mess. There's just no spacing. There's no shot creation. And it's hard if you're a six-foot guard getting to the rim where a defense isn't going to keep your, your teammates honest because they can just, in the college game, stand near the rim, play defense, and going to make it very hard for St. John's to score in the half court this year. Okay. So then let's move on to Seton Hall. Why? I love Seton Hall. Okay. Just defensively, they're so big. They're so rangy. Kadari Richmond is a super underrated point guard. I think he's going to be a star this year. I'm talking about a guy who at point guard is six foot six with a plus wingspan, was in the top 50 nationally assist rate last year and the top 75 nationally in steal rate. So he's getting you your assists, he's getting you your steals, and he's a huge defender. Naturally, his three-point shot could be better, but he still made 33% of them last year, which is better than Posh Alexander, who's over six inches shorter than him. Casey Nadefo was the three-time MAC Defensive Player of the Year at St. Peter's. Trey Jackson came on as a pretty awesome shooter last year. Alexis Yetna is coming off the bench, and he's a five-year starter at South Florida and Seton Hall. Like Tyree Samuel was their best scorer at times, and he's their second guy off the bench. They just Alamir Dawes is coming from Clemson, and, and he's the scoring guard. It's just... You have players in archetypes, you have defenders, you have scorers, you have shooters, and they have a coach who proved he's a badass, like yeah. in Shaheen Holloway. I just think that you blend like a lot of those guys at the New Jersey, New York style of just gritting it. And sure, their offense won't be, you know, masterful, but they have the size and the off-ball shooting to make up for it, which St. John's doesn't. Okay. So then the last conference, and then I want to mention one other team after this. The Last power conference is obviously the Pac-12. You have Arizona is overrated, who's ranked number 10, and underrated at Washington in 113. So I guess let's start with Arizona. 
I mean, this team, obviously, there was a lot of turnover. They lost Mithorin. They lost Coloco. Um, they lost somebody else whose name is sipping me. But they have um, Kirk Kaiser back. They have, um, again, name slipping me. But so what, what's... What what why is Arizona underrated if they, or overrated at this point? Excuse me. Right, they're a little overrated. They lost Dale and Terry. Dalen Terry you were missing, Terry, was the mid the mid first Bulls. rounder for the Bulls. Yeah. For for Arizona, and it sucks because I Arizona was my favorite team to watch in college, college basketball last year. Like they they were incredible to watch. They play a really fun brand of basketball. But I got backcourt questions. Courtney Ramey never proved that he was a star point guard at Texas and. I just don't see that just immediately flip a switch now because you're at Arizona, that changes. Kirk Reese is a streaky shooter. He could be awesome shooting the ball, but doesn't always happen as such. And then media members all across the country, and naturally they, a lot of them know better than me. They've seen them in practice. They've talked to you know, Tommy Lloyd himself. They're so high on Pele Larson. That's the guy that's going to break out this year. And that's possible, but that's the projection. And if you're saying, oh, Pele Larson is going to be an all-Pac-12 player, that's fine. Then maybe Arizona is a top 10 team, but that's just a little more projection than I'm willing to make. And so their backcourt just doesn't do it for me to have them as a top 10 team. If we're talking 20, then I think that's awesome. But at 10, that's just a little too high. Okay. So then I'm looking at the one team I want to talk about is Gonzaga. Obviously, you know, people that don't know college basketball as well as you or even myself just say, oh, Gonzaga, they're in a weak conference and they're going to run the table and they're losing the tournament because they can't play up to competition. Gonzaga, I believe, last year had one of the toughest schedules in the country. I mean, they played Duke. They played Texas. Um, I think they just got a home-and-home with Kentucky scheduled in the next few years. Like, Gonzaga really, like, they they, they played – sure, the conference isn't great, but I'm saying the non-con schedule prepares them for what to expect. So, I mean, I had Gonzaga as my preseason number one. You think they're ranked – the number three ranking in Ken Palm is too low. So, and I believe in your tweet, you said that you, you wouldn't take anybody on a neutral court over them. So they're, I, they're my number one team right now. I think inevitably, I don't think they win the national championship. I don't know if we'll get into that later, but I know, I, I think that in terms of right now, if I were to rank teams are the most talented, the number one, and this is where the betting angle comes into play, right? It's like you give three points for home. So let's just take away the home and the away three point added with the bet let's just say these are two evenly matched teams on an even floor i don't see what team do you pick over gonzaga at this point they're, they're the most talented roster and to me you have them ranked at number three and i don't see any team that beats them if you're playing on a neutral floor then naturally you're underrated and it's tough to call the number one three team overrated in ken palm but as much as i love houston i don't think that gonzaga should be beaten by anybody on neutral floor. And I don't think that should be projected as such in any capacity. Yeah. I mean, there's people that would argue UNC, but I don't know. Well, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. UNC last year, again, I'm going to talk about the song another episode, but they remind me of UCLA last year where they barely made the tournaments and then, you know, had this miraculous run to either the final four national championship. And then they returned basically the whole team. Obviously UNC, replace Brady Manic with Pete Nance. But all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, UCLA couldn't replicate that magic they got last year because they weren't that good of a team. They just had a great Final Four run. So UNC might be in that same field. Well, sure, we forget that they lost to Pitt by 32 points last year at one point. 
and just say, okay, they're returning everyone from a team who lost in the national championship. So that's my biggest concern. So I agree with Gonzaga. I mean, Gonzaga has guys like Hunter Salas coming off the bench. They added Malachi Smith from Chattanooga. Obviously, Drew Timmy's back. Uh, Julian Strother's back. Obviously, Nolan Hickman. I'm. It's Riccio Bolton. They're just so loaded, Gonzaga. Yeah, and honestly, obviously, Drew Timmy's their best player. But Julian Strother is going to take a leak this year. He's going to be pretty awesome. I I feel like he's going to be pretty awesome this year. Yeah, and um, John Rothstein just actually tweeted the other day saying that basically Strother's going to be playing the Corey Kispert role as like that undersized stretch four, and I, I think that's a good role for him. So It's interesting. I think he's – the player he reminds me most of offensively, which is pretty funny because it's not that same role, but he reminds me of Jordan Poole. Okay. And – not necessarily in the half court as much, but just when I watch Julian Strother run in transition and the way that he attacks transition, it, it it's very Jordan Poole-esque in the sense that he's going to take a lot of pull-up threes out of transition. And I think that's why his percentage is so high because he takes, and Gonzaga loves to run and Rasir Bolton will let him run, but he takes a lot of open transition threes and that is going to be a big element, which Corey Kispert did do too. But obviously if you watch NBA, you're going to see Jordan Poole do that a consistent basis for the Warriors. Straw doesn't do something similar for this year, picking the Gonzaga. Okay. So while we're on Gonzaga, I do want to get your final four predictions, your national player of the year predictions. But before that, I would be remiss if I didn't plug this very extensive database you put together. Um, as I said, I'm going to put your Twitter handle in the bio. So Let's just go check out your Twitter. I believe you have it as a pinned tweet. So I don't, but you'll find it pretty early on. Okay, I was going to say, I remember seeing it at the top. Um, this is something that, you know, I'm a big, I, I'm going to plug other college basketball writers right now. The Almanac just came out with the guys from Field of 68 to 3-Man Weave. The um, Blue Ribbon yearbook came out. I'm a big proponent of all those guys. But before all that came out, I was looking at this database. It was like, okay, let's see what I could pull out of this so obviously you could promote it better than i can so what well, how exactly is it set up i know you have like every player with a ranking from 80 to 100 90 plus is player of the year candidate bench players are 35 to 45 i mean how do you even come up with something like this essentially well, last year, so last year I did a little spreadsheet for me and I found it very effective in terms of having depth charts and roster sheets. And the three men weave did this really well when they were putting reviews on their own site before they started the, um, working with the Almanac this year. And I just wanted to do something like that for myself where I just like went through every team and made some depth charts because it would help me understand, you know, team dynamics. I did it for me. And as I was going through this in the summer, I just realized this would be something that other people could use too. So I went through every conference. I did my tiered ranking system like I did. Um, in previous years, I made a depth chart like I did in previous years, and I just felt like I had a lot of time that the season started, and I was like, how can I make this spreadsheet better? If I want to show people the spreadsheet, how can I make it better? And I figured, you know, everyone loves playing video games, NBA 2K, all of those situations where you have player rankings. I figured a way that I could make my – I wanted to justify my rankings because not everyone can watch every team at every moment, and obviously you're going to latch onto some players and not others. And I just wanted, like, a way to process – 
my rankings more than just me staring at a depth chart and being like, oh, those players make more sense. So I actually, when I did go through these rankings, I did make some changes to my initial rankings because I realized through ranking these players, it was different. I just tried to find a generic system that would work and I couldn't do it equal for every league because a 72 in high major is like a, a 90 in mid major, like not necessarily, but you get what I'm saying. So I made a little scale where yeah, 90 plus means you can win player of the year. If you're above 87, you're probably on your all league team, a starter quality level player is an 84 to an 86. And then an 80 to 83, and no one's below 80 as a starter, but you're below quality starter if you get below 83. And then I didn't want all starters and bench players to be worth the same because bench players in college basketball aren't always as important. So I basically split that number in half. Instead of 90 plus, it's 45 plus. Instead of 80 plus, it's 40 plus, you know, and underneath that. So I found a way to get a starter ranking and a bench ranking. And then for players that are like freshman recruits or JUCO guys or D2 guys that I just don't have the time to sit and watch film on, I gave some generic rankings just to like sort of see how they would fit in. So it's not an exact science, but it's a way to sort of measure out teams beyond depth charts. And it's like, there's a lot of group think and there's a lot of like, what are other people thinking when it comes to player to team rankings, when you can rank individual players, add them and then rank them based on that. I feel like it's, and I also have a coach slash program ranking, which like kind of encapsulates how I think of the coach and how their program has been over recent seasons. It's you're able to take a bigger step out just be like, okay, how is this team ranked based off of their personnel rather than what people are thinking about them? Okay. Interesting. It's just something I never would have thought of. So definitely props to you for putting something like that together. Thank you. Um, okay. So let's move on to predictions because everyone likes keeping receipts, seeing you know how things failed out the way they projected them to. So who's your final four prediction? Well, so my final four, I'm going to go with Houston. I'm going to go with Kansas. I'm going to go with Baylor. And then I'm going to go with Tennessee. Okay. Why Tennessee? Guards win in March. I think the backcourt of Zakai Ziegler and Santi Vescovi, really solid backcourt. Their defense is going to stay consistent, even if their offense is failing. Julian Phillips is a, is a top freshman who I think is going to have a great year. By the time that March rolls around, he's going to be right into that rotation. Olivier Kamwa, who's their starting center, played for the uh, got a lot of experience playing for the Finnish national team with Lowry Market in the summer. He didn't play in the Eurobasket, but he played in um, the World Cup qualifiers, and I think he got some good experience there. Tyreek Key is an underrated mid-major guard off of the bench there, and I just really like their top seven, and I think that type of team that can sustain a March, uh, a March run. Okay, so I do have my final four predictions, but real quick, there's a question I wanted to ask you was perfect for this episode. So I saw a stat today that basically said in the last seven college basketball seasons, one team that was in the Ken Palm preseason 20 ended up missing the NCAA tournament completely. Mm -hmm. So which team currently in the Ken Palm top 20 do you think is most susceptible to missing the tournaments? That's a great question. I think there's a couple of good answers. I think Auburn potentially is a good answer. We already talked about them. I hate to say it because I really like their team, but if Cam Whitmore can't come back healthy, if he doesn't have a great season, Villanova, who's at 20, there's a chance there. I love Cam Whitmore. I think he might be an All-American this year, but he's starting the season out with an injury, and as a freshman, that's not a good way to start. So I'm a, 
my ear is kind of up there. Like, me, I'm a little worried about Villanova. And then the last team mentioned it before, Virginia, man. I, they just don't have any scoring. Like, they're going to, because they're starting the season at number five, they can only drop so far. But they are going to lose a couple of bad games because they're going to play a slow pace and some mid-major team is going to shoot 40% from deep and Virginia is going to fall like how they felt to James Madison last year. How they felt to, um, I think there might have been one worse than James Madison last year. Like they're going to lose some bad games. They lost to Navy by eighth last year, right? So there's going to be a bad game or two and maybe they'll jump out of that conversation. But the rest of them should be pretty safe. Okay. So my final four, I have Gonzaga again. I think the best team in the country. I have Houston. I know you just mentioned how much you like Houston. I just think, you know, last year they made it to what? The lead eight last year yep. with multiple guys out. Yeah, no Marcus Sasser, no Tremont Mark. Marcus Sasser and Mark are both back. And then um, they obviously added the freshmen, Jarris Walker and Terrence. I can never pronounce his last name. Arsenal. 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 Arsenal exactly. Um, yeah, and I'm just I'm buying everything Kelvin Sampson's preaching. So those are my two. Baylor, I also have just like you. Um, what was it? I think Baylor's 81 and 13 over the last three seasons, which in just about the best conference in the nation mm-hmm. is pretty absurd. Yeah, pretty absurd. I, I, I'm big on Keontae George. A lot of that's dependent on Flagler and Crowder staying healthy. I'm a big proponent of if you have an elite backcourt, you're going to do damage in March Madness. So as long as those two guys are healthy, I really do think that, you know, Baylor is able to make a type of run like that. And then obviously every Final Four has a sleeper, a team that no one really expects to be there. I'm going to take a team that actually made it to the Elite Eight this year as the lowest seed, and I'm putting University of Miami in there. Okay, I'm higher on Miami than most. I have them ranked at 30. I think that's probably a little bit higher. I I can't for the life of me understand why people are so low on Nigel Pack. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nigel Pack should be an All-American this year. I have him on my All-American third team. And I don't see anybody even close to that on him. Like, I get it that he didn't play for a great Kansas State team last year. But this guy is, you know, he's the real deal. He's an excellent three-point shooter. 36, 43.6% last year. 42% as a freshman. He's a good passer. He led Kansas State in assist straight two straight years. And that's also being the leading shooter on the team. His true shooting rate is in the top 500 nationally both seasons. Like the guy's picking up steals. He's a good defender. I get that he's only six foot and I get that he played on a pretty poor team, but come on now. He's a great player. And I think that if you're your strategy, which I think is a great strategy, which is guards win in March, then Isaiah Wong, Nigel Pack backcourt doesn't get much better than that in the country. Yep. And Isaiah Wong, let me see while we're wrapping up. I put Isaiah Wong on my All-American second team. So Right, so I have Pack on my third. So we're just picking which which Miami guard we like on those teams. Yeah. So, okay, Matthew, anything else you want to plug? Anything you're working on? No, just, you know, follow the Twitter at Matthew Winnick. Anything I'm working on at the score we put up there. We're doing some college basketball previews. We're doing some betting stuff as the season gets going. But anything that I put up will be shown on my Twitter. So you follow me there. You'll be able to get a little load of everything. Okay. Everyone remember to subscribe to our Fantasy Pass. If you are a serious fantasy basketball player, you will want to buy it because you will win your league guaranteed. 
You guys can follow me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. And I will talk to you guys next episode. Matthew, so much. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure.